Let's stand together, 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read tonight, as we uh, have our second sermon uh, from this book, last week we introduced it, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I believe we'll have a trio sing, and then I'll preach tonight. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to open up your word and to learn how to live with joy. And Lord, we're going to need your help with that these next few months. So give us something that will guide us and help us uh, to keep the spirit of Christ in our hearts in these upcoming days. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. We're living in a day with all of the circumstances that I mentioned just a moment ago with all of the culture shift and all of the shifting in churches and in people's hearts, people that once had joy and now perhaps are discouraged, perhaps are critical, perhaps are struggling. And during these days, many people lose their joy. And I think about the subject of joy, and I believe that many Christians are living with an absence of joy even in this very hour. 71% of Americans say that they have struggled in the last six months with this issue. In fact, depression, I'm told, costs the U.S. workplace $23 billion in absenteeism. People that just can't cope, people that have gotten themselves into a sense of anxiety or discouragement or depression... About one in six American workers report a history of depression or have been diagnosed with depression at some point. And I'm certainly not making fun of having experienced that. I think all of us have to some degree or another. I believe David perhaps experienced it in the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, you read of a man that was discouraged and he's crying out to the Lord and even complaining to the Lord about trials that he had in his life. And sometimes when depression comes or unhappiness comes, people begin to make decisions that are based on the soulish part of man. Man is a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. They begin to make soulish or emotionally based decisions because they are unhappy rather than spirit-led decisions. If you're with me, say amen. And when those decisions are made from the seat of our emotions, from the way that we feel, many times those decisions are wrong decisions. Many times when stress is there and depression and discouragement, people begin to turn to even alcohol or vice. Other people get into an escapist thought process and they begin to think about the what ifs and the over theres and they begin to think outside of the revealed will of God. And it's as if they had Lumberger cheese under their nose. Everything in their life stinks. Their job, their marriage, the school, 
the church, the whole country for that matter, there's not a good thing about any of it in their mind. And oftentimes, Satan begins to take advantage at that point. And he begins to throw temptation and he begins to bring along some friendly person that leads them astray or points them into a direction that ruins their family. And one of the reasons that this happens is because as Christians, we tend to confuse joy and happiness. We forget that happiness comes and goes, but that joy can be ever-present in our lives. And there is a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is the agreeable sensation which we have from the enjoyment of good. It is that state of being in which our desires are gratified. It's a nice day. It's a great meal. It's a new car. I mean, I'm telling you what, uh, we, we haven't had company in six months. And normally that's part of our normal routine. And just as soon as we get another little break in the coding system, we need to begin having some more of that with our church family. But we took the liberty to have uh, Francie Taylor for dinner last night and we socially distanced and, and, and Terry made an amazing meal. I mean, I had a little part in it. She, she gives me always the credit. I, I broiled some salmon on the grill, I'm going to tell you that. But she had potatoes and she had carrots and she had corn and she had, I don't know what all else, but to top it off, ladies and gentlemen, we had pumpkin pie with whipped cream last night. I'm just telling you, if you don't like pumpkin pie with, with whipped cream, you might as well leave right now. This message can't even help you. It was awesome. Just anything to remind us that the year is going to be over soon. It's fall. It's really not Thanksgiving, but bring on the pumpkin pie. We're going to set our Christmas tree up probably next week. That's another story. <laughs> when I got done with that meal... I'm telling you, I was one happy guy. Before the meal, I was a little irritable, Dr. R. You'll understand this. You get hungry, you know, and you just kind of like, come on, let's eat. I'm, I'm hungry, you know, and Dr. R's that way all the time, just all the time. And, uh, but boy, after that meal, I was happy. But you'll never guess what happened after eating seconds and after eating two pieces of pie. Now, it wasn't like my grandson Chandler. We had to discipline him last night. He was walking around with the whipped cream can going, ah, just enjoying the whipped cream like that, you know. It's my son-in-law. I've got to work on him a little bit there in those areas. But I enjoy that. But amazingly, when I got up this morning, I wasn't full anymore. I, I wasn't as happy about the meal this morning as I was last night. And just as soon as you can digest a meal, circumstances can take you from being happy to being unhappy. Happiness, then, is conditioned on circumstances. And circumstances are going to be all over the chart the next few months. Joy, on the other hand, is a glorious and triumphant state. Joy is the inner state of the heart and mind. It is produced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's produced by the grace of God. And I always get tickled with people that want to say they've grown in grace and they know more about grace and they're ticked off about it. Because if you're growing in grace, you're going to have a smile on your face. And when you're growing in the grace of Christ and the fullness of His Spirit, 
There is a joy that can come into your life because God is the source of joy. Now, as we read last week, and we're going to come to verse 3 in just a moment, but John is writing and he's giving them that which was from the beginning and which he had seen and heard and eyewitnessed and all of this regarding the Lord Jesus and the manifestation of Jesus. And and he says in verse 4 something that's great. And it it just, as I was studying it a few weeks ago, I rearranged my my sermon schedule and I said, I'm just going to park at verse 4 Sunday night. And verse 4 says this. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Let's say it together. That your joy may be full. Now happiness is when you get a raise or when you get an attaboy. Joy is Paul and Silas at midnight in prison singing praise to God. You say, well, I feel like I'm in a prison. When's the fire going to stop? It it may burn until Jesus comes, ladies and gentlemen. I have no idea. And if that's what you're waiting for to get your joy, you don't understand joy. Paul and Silas in the middle of prison. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are times when I do not have the joy that I should have. So I'll preach this to myself. But I'm going to tell you, if we follow the principles I'm about to give you, you will enjoy and have fuller joy in the Christian life. And it will not be this roller coaster that so many Christians seem to be on these days. So how do we have full joy? How can we be full of joy? Joyful, joyful. Three thoughts. First, there is joy in a right focus. There is joy in a right focus. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. The we here is speaking of the apostles, John being the last living apostle. A reminder is given here that the apostles of Christ were used to finish what Christ taught and did. And it is now recorded for us in the scriptures. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. But our lives are built upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles. Now others would try to get their attention away from Christ. Others would try to discredit the gospel or re-engineer the gospel to say what they wanted to say. Turn, if you would, in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just go back maybe like a page there. Verse 1. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. First Timothy 3 speaks about them as well. Teachers who will tickle our ears, scoffers who will come. That's why I mentioned a moment ago this principle of pondering and discerning. And Peter knew that. And so because those Gnostics had come in to the church at Ephesus and elsewhere, he is writing to them and he's saying, if you, if you follow these false teachers, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to have a critical spirit. You're going to find yourself not enjoying the Christian life. In fact, while we're here in 1 John, look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says here, Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether they be of God. 
because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is God. So the Bible says, don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits. And so the book of 1 John is going to help us not have a false assurance, but we've entitled this series Blessed Assurance because our assurance is based on Jesus. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on false doctrine. It's based on who he is and what he has done for us. And so we must try the spirits. There's much liberal theology on the rise. There's much in the way of compromising churches. There's much in the way of politics that is outright against the word of God. And I preached some, not politically, but I preached about one of the uh, big issues of the day this morning with respect to gender and these issues. And what I'm saying is that you've got to learn and I've got to learn with the barrage of things coming to us and we've got to teach our children what does it mean to try the spirits? What does it mean to know if this is of God or not? And so here John is simply saying, look at that which we have seen. I want to testify to you about what is real. John being the last is is opening this epistle with his testimony. And so notice there's joy in a right focus. And notice what he says here in verse 3. That which we have seen. Now the 12 apostles were the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. They were close to Jesus. John was one of the three witnesses that was present at the transfiguration. He was John the Beloved. He's telling us about what he's seen. He's telling us that while he's an elderly man and while his life is about to be given in martyrdom, he still has some assurance and joy because of what he saw. Do you remember when you saw the truth of Jesus Christ? My mother, such a godly blessing. And of course, you know, she's in the hospital with Alzheimer's. But she always used to tell me, Paul, I remember the night you got saved. She said, you walked out of our bedroom and you had the face of an angel. That's, that's, doesn't that sound like what a mother would say? And I always say, and I still do, right, mom? But she said there was a joy over me when I got saved. Do you remember when you realized that you were a sinner and that God's son died for you and you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? Do you remember that? Because when that happened, you focused on something that changed your life, changed your attitude, and still to this day is at work in our lives. And this is what he said, that which we have seen. And then he says, that which we heard. And of course, speaking here about the words of Jesus Christ, he said, that's what we declare unto you. Uh, we bring these good tidings to you. And, and the apostles did that. And they they they're doing that here in 1 John and 1 and 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1.19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed. In other words, the word of God that I'm preaching to you from night is, is as reliable and as wonderful as if Jesus was here himself speaking to us tonight. That which we have seen and that which we have heard. And I don't know how to state this enough tonight. But we must keep our focus on Christ or we will lose our joy. Yes, there's smoke in the air. And yes, there's COVID in the air. And yes, uh, California politics are liberal. And, And that's nothing new, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, there have been pandemics before and fires before. And liberalism has abounded and comes up and down. And all of these problems abound. But I want to say to you that we will not maintain joy if we do not keep our focus on Jesus Christ. I've been to a lot of the 
cathedrals of Europe and I've been to St. Peter's and St. John's and all, all the other churches there in Rome. And I'm going to tell you something. You walk into a Roman Catholic church, and honestly, it's one of the saddest places. Every time I go in, my heart just sinks. They're dark. There's people lighting candles for their dead loved ones and giving money, hoping that their prayers go up. I was out soul winning yesterday morning. And by the way, there's plenty of people in the Antelope Valley that still want somebody to be friendly to them and talk to them about Jesus Christ. And I was, I was talking this uh, as I knocked on a door, just a, uh, a new move in there, young married, uh, Mrs. Vasquez, and praying that she and her husband will be here next week. And as we were talking, I was just sharing with her a little bit of the difference between being a born-again Christian and being Catholic and how we emphasize a relationship with Christ and not with a church. And, and I said, one of the big issues is, and one of the big differences is that we don't pray, we don't give our sins to the priest, but we confess our sin to the Lord Jesus personally. How many of you are glad for that? And what I want you to understand here is that we have the privilege of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we must be focused on him. And you go into some of these big cathedrals and Catholic churches and, and you see these confessional booths and people putting the candles in and paying money. And then you see all of the different uh, idolatry. I've, I've, I've watched people for an hour or two kissing the toe of St. Peter until it's hardly left there. I wonder if they're doing that during COVID. I have no idea. I just thought of that. But they, they better be putting antibacterial on that toe. And if you go to maybe the next country over where the Reformation fires burned and where the gospel was preached and you walk in to some of the uh, Protestant churches or better than that, get over to England, get in some of the Baptist churches, you'll find none of that. You'll find none of the idolatry. But sometimes you'll find something like this, a cross that is empty because he is resurrected. And what I want you to know is every time I take the time, and I, I trust that you're doing this each morning, and I, I talk with the Lord, and I look into his word, and I think about the cross, and I think about what he's done, and I think about what he went through, and I think about the pain that he had, and I think that I have a great high priest that I can come to him boldly, and he understands, and, 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 and that, that they, he was beaten, and, and he was spat upon, and, and the crown of thorns placed upon his head, and, and he, he suffered and died a death that was not his, it was mine. I should have been suffering on that cross. When I get my focus where it's supposed to be, excuse me, off myself, my knowledge, my ability to argue. And when I get my focus where it should be, not on the faults of your spouse, not on the faults of this world, there's plenty of them. When I get my focus on Jesus Christ, the joy starts to come back every time. There's joy in a right focus, secondly. There's joy in a loving family. There's joy in a loving family. Now notice in verse 3 it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. He said, you know, I, I, this is so fun focusing on Christ and my joy is so full that I'm sharing it with you so that we can have this same fellowship with each other. 
so that you can be happy like I'm happy. Now, I've had people try to get me happy in a lot of strange ways. I've had people try to sell me, what was it, mango juice? If I just drink this stango mango, how do you remember that stuff years ago? Drink this stuff and it'll make you happy. I have people try to give me every kind of a vitamin to make me happy. I've had people shake my hand and have ointment in it that smelled rancid. They said, this right here, just apply it to your temples. It takes the headaches away. And I, I will never forget that. In New Mexico, as I was, I had a terrible headache. And this lady came up and she shakes my hand and it was like tar in my hand. She said, now you take that and rub it right on your temples. God did not leave me to do that. I had a terrible headache, but I went to the restroom and I washed off the stuff she put on there. But she, she, she thought that might make me happy. I've had people tell me that Amway will make me happy and Shackley will make me happy and this will make me happy and that will make me happy. And, and all of these different things. And, and what's fun about it is that when they're talking to me about it, they, are, they believe in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can get excited about Amway and Shackley, you better be excited about Jesus Christ. And so he says, there's joy in a loving family. He, notice the word here, fellowship. It is that word, koinonia. We looked at it briefly last week. Community, communion. And here's the deal. And, and, and someday I'll preach a whole message about COVID. But I'm convinced that Satan's right in the middle of a lot of the trials we're seeing in our country right now. One of the reasons is because right when God's people need to feel a sense of belonging and fellowship and encouragement, we feel like we better get to church, we better wear a mask, then we better run away fast. There's not a lot of activities right now. And we're trying to, we're trying to be observant of masks and sometimes you're not even sure who you're talking to. You know? I asked some people this morning, is there a smile under that mask? Just let me know, I wanna know. It's a little tougher right now, isn't it? And sometimes Satan takes advantage of that. That's why when you see someone and you can encourage them or talk to them or have some fellowship. When some of these regulations get, get around where we can have some fellowship, we'll, we're going to be throwing some things on the calendar. Why? Because the fellowship we have in Christ is so needful. You see, in the New Testament sense of the word, the only people who experience fellowship are those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's through the fellowship that encouragement is provided, Acts 2.42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and of prayers. And you can't have the same fellowship with someone that's not saved. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You might have happiness with an unsaved friend talking about, wow, did you see the golf shot or whatever? And it's a moment of happiness. But only joyful communion is known with those who are surrounded by uh, and enveloped in the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm excited about having next month a, a mini missions conference. It's going to be a little bit different. We'll share the schedule with you. We could have just said, forget it. We're not having anything this year. But we're, we're still moving forward as a church. A little, little bit like a turtle. Feels like to me sometime. But we're still going forward. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And I love the missions conference for many reasons. But one reason is when the missionaries come and they show their slides and they show their videos and, and they share with us, it gives us a chance to get our eyes off of our stinking, selfish little selves or bigger selves. And to put our eyes up onto the fields that are white unto harvest. 
And there's just something about thinking about others that brings joy into our lives. I can't explain it. There's something about giving to a missionary. There's something about praying with a missionary. There's something about uh, visiting a mission field. There's something about serving others that brings joy into our life. And it's, it's fellowship. It's koinonia fellowship. No unbeliever can really relate to you at that level. They just can't. They, they don't understand what makes us happy. I heard about a farmer that took his shotgun to shoot a flock of pesky crows. Oh, how I'd love to do that someday. I don't think it's legal to do it in the city limits. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it isn't. But um, I'd still love to do it someday. And the farmer had a sociable parrot who had made friends with everybody. And the parrot flew out with the crows. And the farmer didn't see it. And boom, he started shooting those crows as they went by. And, and uh, when he went up to the crows, he saw the parrot there badly ruffled and with a broken wing. He picked up the little parrot. He carried it home. And his children said, what happened, Daddy? And the farmer said, Bad company, kids. Bad company. Make sure that your best friends are Jesus-loving, Christ-honoring people. You don't let that bad-mouthed guy at work, that, that cranky gal at work, rob your joy. Don't, don't allow that to be the source of your, of your uh, nurture. You let God and Christ and God's people be that in your life. And because it is through this fellowship that he speaks about, this fellowship that we have together, that we find comfort in the times of trials. During World War II, the enemy conducted experiments to find the most effective type of punishment for the prisoners of war. And it's amazing how countries learn to torture their prisoners of war. And they found that the solitary confinement was the most effective. After a few days of solitary confinement, the prisoners would give information to the enemy much easier. And that is why Christians need fellowship. Because without it, we become prey to the negative thought. We become prey to the compromising preacher who wants to help you understand how you can relax and, 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 and because he has a better understanding, you can just kind of live the Christian life according to the Burger King rules. When you are not strong in your fellowship with Christ and fellow believers, you are susceptible to any kind of discouragement that the devil wants to throw your way. And that's why the Bible says, and that's why... Many of us are praying and doing our best to stand because the scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Ladies and gentlemen, we all need the exhortation. You say, well, uh, you know, I'm tired and it's hard to do or whatever. Listen, I'm just telling you, that's fine. But without exhortation and fellowship around Christ, we would all shrivel and die spiritually. We need the encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to love and, and to provoke unto love and a good work. So encouragement is provided. The other thing that happens in loving fellowship is that there is burden bearing that is provided. Galatians 6, 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of our members said to me today as they were leaving, pastor, and it's, and it's amazing. It's just amazing the contrast of, of the spiritual and the carnal. But one of our members walking by and just in a godly way just said, Pastor, I just want you to know that the phone calls and the touching base and some of the emails and just everything our church is doing, it's been a great help to me. You know what I said, Brother Williams? I said, thank God somebody gets what we're trying to do. 
Because with all of your heart as a pastor, as a shepherd, you're, you're trying to stay in touch and you're trying to nurture and you're trying to consider and provoke unto love and good works. But all of us as a body need to have that mentality. Every connection group leader, every care group leader, every member bearing burdens, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is what true love is all about. I heard about a guy that was getting married and he had a ring in his hand and he said, sweetheart, I love you so much. I want you to marry me. I don't have a car like Johnny Green. I don't have a yacht like him. I don't have a house his size. I don't have the money of Johnny Green, but I, I love you with all my heart. She looked into his eyes and said, I love you too, sweetheart. But could you tell me just a little more about Johnny Green? <laughs> That's how some people play with Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I love you. But... Overtime's good, and this is good, and that's good, and make sure that Jesus Christ is first in your life. I think about that song we used to sing it. Brother Hopkins, come help me with it. When I think about the word fellowship, this, we want to have joy in a right focus, that's Jesus. Joy in a right fellowship, that's the church. And I remember that song that uh, I think Gloria Gaither, that great Baptist preacher, she used to sing. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. How many of you remember hearing that song? Remember seeing that song? I want you to sing it with me. If you have the words to it, throw it up there and let's sing it together, shall we? Help me now. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join tears with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Let's sing that, just that part again. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join tears with Jesus as we travel earth's sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. I'd rather be a part of Lancaster Baptist Church in the middle of the smoke, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of every liberal Democrat in the country. I'd rather be right here with this family of God than anywhere else in the entire world. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Oh, it's a place of care. It's a place of burden bearing. It's a place of preaching. It's a place of fellowship. There's joy in a right focus. And there's joy in a loving family. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you get away from a church that's full of joy and doctrinal preaching. I don't care what you have. If you don't have that right kind of fellowship, the joy will not be there. You say, but but I, I could have 50 acres and I could have a red Ferrari and I could have this and I could have that. But but there's something about the fellowship of the local New Testament church. There's joy in a right focus. There's joy in a loving family. And uh, let me say finally, there's joy in personal fellowship with God. There's joy in fellowship with God. Look at verse 3 as we close. It says, that ye may al they also may have fellowship with us. And notice this now. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, can you say that? You know, one of the hardest things about being a pastor is someone can sit under your preaching for years and years and years, and you can challenge in every which way, and then, and then suddenly you just find out, boy, they just weren't really where you kind of thought they were. 
So I want to ask you a question because I, I have no clue. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you talk to him in the morning? Do you read his word and try to hear what he's telling you? Because you're not going to have joy if you don't have a real relationship with God. And, and we have curriculums and revivals and conferences and preachings and all of this. And someone who's in fellowship with God, this is just the expansion of what's already going on in their life. But if you don't have personal relationship with God, this is just an extra appendage you wish you could cut off. And, and he says, look at the koinonia fellowship that we have at church, that is awesome. It brings such joy. But the real key, he tells us here in verse three, is that truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now think about fellowship with the Father. The Father has made provision for us to fellowship with him through the Son. I love the hymn that says, oh, come to the Father through the Son. It's doctrinally correct. 1 John 4, if you want to look at it, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might, uh, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is what we say theologically is the prime mover in salvation. He loved us. He loved us when we were running. He loved us when we didn't know. He loved us when we didn't care. God said, hey, I want a relationship with you. How many of you are humbled by that? I am. God said, I, I, want, I want to know you. And let me tell you something about the fellowship with the Father. It's through Christ, and it will never be broken. It will never be broken. What shall we say then, Romans 8, to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It will never be broken. So we have fellowship with the Father. Then verse 3 says, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach a message next Sunday morning. Who is Jesus Christ? And I hope you'll bring a friend. And we're going to exalt Christ and speak of the deity of Christ and the work of Christ and the, and the invitation of Christ. And it will be a great time in God's house. But it's with the Father and then it's with the Son. Now, our fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son, is because of the love of the Father. And I think about that love. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or, peril, or sword, or fires, or pandemics, or liberalism? Nothing can separate you from Jesus Christ. And that ought to bring joy into your heart. I added those last three words in just, just so you know. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. November 3rd, January 9th, whatever the date is, the things that are coming, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone may love you today and hate you tomorrow, and your new car may get crashed tomorrow, and your kids may pour paint on your new carpet, and your job may not go the way you want it to go, but there's something that will never change and that is that Jesus loves you. And that ought to bring joy into our heart. Joy doesn't come from people. 
See, that's the problem in marriage so many times. We bring those expectations. Well, when I get married, I know how it's going to be. The little lady is going to cook me a roast every night. And seven years into it, the little lady's not so little anymore. And you're not all that you used to be. Things change. Things change. People change. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're looking at your spouse to bring you joy, they can't. They can bring you some temporary happiness, but joy comes from within. Joy comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. And there ought to be something about you at work tomorrow. The way you walk. The way you say hello. The way that when everybody else is ticked off, you're okay. There ought to be something about you that the unsaved can say, I don't know what he has, but I don't have it. So that they'll ask you a reason of that hope that is within you. I'm telling you, the devil tries to rob our joy every single day. Every day. And that's why we come together as a fellowship to say, let's get looking back to Jesus again. Because he's the only one that brings joy. I remember when my dad came into my bedroom in La Habra Heights, California. We had a beautiful home. My dad was a pastor of a, of a growing church. And it was just kind of a cool time of life. You know, I was just kind of uh, getting ready to start high school. I was playing sports. I had a girlfriend. I was sure we were going to get married. You know that when you're 14. And... We had a home up on a hill on a clear day. You could look all the way to Catalina Island. You could watch Disneyland fireworks from the balcony. It was just, it was a good life for a junior high kid. And my dad walks into the bedroom. I'll never forget it. And my brother was there. And he says, boys, and he, he'd, been, he'd been preaching overseas some in Korea with Jack Baskin. And he said, boys, I want to tell you the Lord's been working on my heart. We're like, okay, good. He should. You, you're a pastor. I mean, God's been working. We, we did not know where this is going. God's been working on my heart. You know, I've been over with Brother Jack over there in Korea. There's just something happening over there and just a moving out of God and all this stuff. And, and we didn't hear any hardly of it until he said, and so I'm going to be resigning the church this Sunday and we're going to be all as a family moving to Korea. And I'm like, what? Right when I'm going to play tackle football? Right when I'm going to get a car? Right, you're going to take us away from McDonald's hamburgers and Snicker bars, and and I'm going to tell you, and and I, I don't go into the details of it because I don't want to inspire some already somewhat rebellious teenager. But I was I was not happy about it. I was not happy about it, and I did everything I could to show that I wasn't happy. You know how it goes. Good morning, Paul. Wasn't that a great song the choir sang? No. Want to go to Polly's Pies for a hamburger? Whatever. Have you ever had a teenager like that? You want to just take them out back and just whoop them? I was that teenager. <laughs> and we got to Korea. And so my dad says, 
let's take a drive around our new home. And I muttered something like, not my new home. And, and frankly, when we got there, Korea was still coming out of some sort of the Korean War stuff. I mean, it had been about 15 years, but it was still pretty rough. I mean, there was open sewage and there was no McDonald's. There was nothing like that. And, and I, I'm in honest with you, he'd be driving along and he'd go, look at that, the Han River. And he'd see the river and I'd see all the sewage and the junk. And back then, the Han River had one bridge. And I crossed it every day to go to school in a taxi. And all I knew and all I focused on was this place where I was. And the more I focused on it, the madder I got. And then you get around friends that have that same stinking rotten attitude, and they tell you how bad it is. The pollution, the river, there's only one bridge, the food is too hot. The people don't understand our language. You can't go to McDonald's because there is no McDonald's. (laughs) And the list just grew every day. And you put a teenager with that attitude with other teenagers with other attitudes, and I mean, there's nothing good about it. And so, for several months, I was the most miserable teenager on planet Earth. And though I was a Christian, I definitely had no focus on Christ. The focus was just on me. And during that time, there were people, and some of you, parents, it's your children, your grown children that'll pull you. For me, it was another teenager. Some of you, it'll be someone at work or some, some social media. But what I'm saying is when you're frustrated and don't have joy, you're easy picking for the devil to pull you. And thankfully, God spared me from, you know, joining the mafia or something like that. But For several months, I was very miserable until Jack Baskin, the guy that got my dad to go to Korea, came to Korea. And I remember when he came, everyone said, Brother Baskin's going to come. He's going to preach a revival. Isn't that wonderful? I was saying, whatever. I don't like Jack Baskin. He's the reason my dad found about Korea. I don't don't want him to come over here and preach a revival. He can stay in America as far as I'm concerned. But he came, and he preached four nights of revival. And it's sometimes hard when it's through an interpreter because the the English preacher preaches, and then the interpreter preaches, and the interpreters always say a lot more. They add stuff in. (laughs) Like one time I was preaching with Ed Bordell down in Costa Rica, and I said, "We we must flee sin and turn away from wicked things. And he said, in Spanish, and then he goes, e Justin Bieber, e marijuana, e rock and roll music, and I'm looking at him like, I don't think I said any of that stuff. <laughs> so when they're doing that, it takes longer. Is everybody with me? You know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting in these services and trying to really listen, but about the third night, God started pointing at my heart that I was not right with him. And I remember when Jack Baskin said to me, Paul, let's take a walk up on the hill behind the house. I lived in a, I lived in the World Vision missionary compound. Some of you might remember the World Vision choirs that would sing. And we took a walk, and up on the hill in our compound was an old machine gun placement from the war. And we went up on top of that machine gun hill, and he began to talk to me about, what does God want with your life? I said, I don't know. I think I might be a forest ranger. (laughs) I think I said to him, God had called me to preach earlier. 
And he said, but really, what do you think the Lord would have you do? And I said, well, I, I know he wants me to go to a one-year of Bible college probably. My parents always said that, one-year of Bible college. And I said, and I'll try to you know, discover God's will there. And he said, well, why don't, why don't you come to, to our college, Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. And, and I, I remember praying with him on that hill. And I remember surrendering my pride. And I remember just getting focused on Jesus again is really what I did. And can I tell you something? When I got off my knees, when I got done praying with him, Korea became the most wonderful place in my life. The next day, we went out to eat, and I had the best Korean meal. And if you haven't had bulgogi, kimchi, and rice, you just haven't lived. I mean, I began to love the food. I began to love the people. I began to love the language. I enjoyed traveling. I rode my bike from Seoul to Pusan. I took the ferry across to Cheju Island. I rode my bike around the island with a missionary friend, passing out tracks and just discovering a culture. And, and I made many friends, some of the best friends that I have to this very day, people that would fly from Korea to here, people that flew to my wedding and sang in my wedding, and people that have loved me in this ministry and supported our college, and all people that God wanted to bring into my life, but I was so convinced that I couldn't be happy there. And you know what? I found something better than happiness. When I got my eyes on Jesus, I found joy in a place that smelled, in a place that didn't have good sewers, in a place that didn't have McDonald's. I found joy because joy is found in a right relationship with God church, we've got to keep a focus on Christ so that November 3rd and January 9th and beyond, we are joyfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We used to sing that song when I was a kid. Some of you might remember it. It goes something like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my, where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Remember that song? Let's sing that first verse together. Will you help me with it? Uh, let's sing it together. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I think the verse went like this. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch! Sit on attack. Ouch! Sit on attack. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I don't want to come through COVID just like, oh man, oh my soul. Six months, seven months, eight months of it, and fires, and liberals, and, and no freedom, and fear. And, but thank God we made it. But man, I, it's going to take me a year to recover now. Sorry, Pastor. See you later. 
Oh, it, it's been hard, but it's going to be better uh, where I can just find a little respite for myself because this, this COVID thing has just wiped me out. Yeah, it really has. You've been on the couch a lot more than normal. <laughs> and it is hard eating those ho-hos. I mean, it really is. You know, just that whole action of the ding-dongs and everything. It just, that's hard. You know what that is? And, and look at, I get there. <laughs> it's me focusing on me. You think about yourself long enough, you can convince yourself that it's hard to eat ho-hos. Do you know what ho-hos are? Some of you are looking, I, I can't tell how you're looking, here's the mask. It's a dessert cake that comes in plastic bags. It's like a ding-dong. It's like a cupcake. Not like a snicker bar, those are better. But you could convince yourself that it's hard to sit on the couch and eat those snicker bars. And it's hard. And oh, COVID has just got me down. Or you can say, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my... And I know, not every day. I know you're not going to walk into Northrop tomorrow and go, hey, John, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> I don't want our police officer doing, hey, I'm going to rush you now, but I've got the joy, 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 joy. They're going to say, this guy's wacko. <laughs> in fact, I don't want you to be joy, joy, joy when you give me a ticket. I want you to feel sorry for me. I don't know how to tell you this. I mean, okay, folks, I've been pastoring for decades now. I've tried to be faithful in doctrine, in my life, in praying for the congregation. I know when Satan is taking his wax at the church. And the stuff I hear every day tells me that some of you are getting whacked. So I want to encourage you to find joy how? How? Where? Where? Where, Pastor? Where is it? it oh, is it in that new restaurant? Those baked potatoes, that extra sour cream and butter, is that it? That'll make you happy for a minute, but that's not joy. Well, what about pumpkin pie? You preached about that tonight. I heard that. It'll make you happy, but not joy. There's joy in a right focus, Jesus. There's joy in a loving church family. And I'm going to tell you something. It's something that should be cherished. And there's joy in personal fellowship with God. And that's the direction I'm trying to help us to keep focused on so that when they bring it to the level where we can have like, you know, an outside whatever. When they bring it to the level, I don't even know what color, I can't keep track, they've had so many. But whenever it comes to the color that we can have you know, whatever kinds of activities and running buses and all these things that we'll be able to say, man, God brought me through that. I got closer to God during that. I, I'm really thankful that God let me go through that and that God brought me here for this time and only God could have kept me sane through that and I'm thankful that he did. And I, I want your joy to be full, church, and that's what I'm preaching about tonight. How can it be full? I, I can't do it. I'm like one guy. I can write some letters, send some emails. I mean, I, I, I make visits. I go sewing, but you, you just can't pump everybody up all the time. But the Holy Spirit can do that from within for each and every one of us. So let's keep our focus on the Lord. Let's keep our fellowship strong. And let's keep our fellowship with the Father personal and loving.